Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fish and Game Podcast. you got your host here. Your host, hostess with the mostess. Just kidding, Justin. That's me. Um, uh, here today with uh, my good buddy, partner in crime. Although not really any crimes, but just you know, friends. And uh, going to talk about some wild food stuff. Pretty excited. We're going to be doing a, another butchery episode, as promised. Um, so if you scroll back two episodes ago, you would listen to us talk about the mock tender and the flat iron steak. And then this episode, we're going to be talking about the arm roast and the shanks. Uh, The project we're currently working on, we labeled the shanks on the front part of the shoulders, the four shanks, but uh, we're just going to talk about shanks in general. Um, Not really much difference between the four and the aft shanks, the back shanks. (laughs) Uh, Use a little nautical jargon there, but... um, no, I, I think uh, this will be a good episode to dive deep in, try to give some updates for myself real quick. So I've been doing a lot of travel here lately, so uh, haven't been out hunting and fishing much. Been up in the mountains quite a bit, but just kind of camping and hanging out. Uh, we did do some some foraging, got some spruce tips, so I got some spruce tip syrup going. Uh, also took some spruce tips and made you know tea to make jam with uh, or jelly or preserves whatever part of the world you're living in and then um, I've been doing a lot of sourdough baking lately I had a friend uh, who lives up at elevation in California give me a starter and so I restarted my sourdough adventure and so I've been 
there was one week when we were going camping up in the mountains with a few other families. I made like seven, no, I made six loaves in three days. Uh, so I was pretty proud of myself. I was cranking them out. Uh, but now I'm just back down to like two loaves a week. But pretty solid recipe that I got going for my uh, high altitude sourdough, I'll call it. Uh, it works out really, really well. And then outside of that, uh, headed out to California here soon to to go do some work and hang out at the beach and all that jazz. So uh, if you're in San Diego and you're listening to this, you're likely going to be listening to the episode while I'm there. So uh, that'll be a fun moment. Uh, reach out if you're around on social media. And we'll, we'll come have a beer or a uh, spearfish sesh or something. But uh, I don't know. Adam, what do you got going on in your neck of the woods? Well, I've mostly been doing a lot of uh, foraging. So I've been taking the dog for a long walk in the woods every day. I have a little spot and uh, been pulling up tons of chanterelles and more lobster mushrooms than I've ever found in my life, which has been great. And uh, I've been harvesting pin cherries and choke cherries and lamb's quarters, just like a type of green. Um, so I've just been, yeah, bringing home tons of stuff every day with me, which has been a lot of fun. Been uh, dehydrating some mushrooms and making liqueurs out of the the berries and stuff, and and uh, blanching and freezing the greens. So I've been kind of putting some of the stuff away for for later on in the year to use in the winter. So, um, and then I'm going to be heading to the cottage soon, and uh, hopefully do a bunch of fishing when I'm there. So looking forward to that too. Uh, haven't done actually much fishing oh. at all this year, which uh, is unlike me. Oh. Wow, yeah. Excited. What, uh, what do you aim to catch? Some bass and some pike? Yeah, in our lake it's bass, pike. Um, there are lake trout and panfish like perch and crappie and sunfish and stuff like that. So I'll probably do a big um, panfish fry up at one point. Um, yeah. We have a ton that live around our dock and they... When August rolls around, I don't know if the heat changes something, but they just start biting us when we're swimming, which is a real pain. Um, it doesn't really hurt, but it's just shocking and annoying, and they'll come and nip at your, like, moles and freckles and stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> so I usually do a, a big a big panfish call around my dock, and then we eat them up. So uh, we don't have to worry about that so much. Um, and then we'll probably go for, for large and smallmouth and... I wouldn't mind catching a pike, though. They're better in the early season when the water's a little colder, but I'd still definitely take one home if I caught one right now. Still tasty. Yeah. Exciting stuff going on, then. I may try to fish while I'm in San Diego, too. I haven't quite decided yet if I'm going to have time. But if I do, uh, I may get out and try to go fish some. We'll like see. a party pool um, kind of deal, or...? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. If, I've, if I've got a free morning, I may just try to go out and do like a half day or something mm-hmm. on the party boat. That could be fun. Um, but other than that, so let's dive. I mean, let's dive headfirst into what we wanted to talk about here. So we're for those that don't know, we are working our way um, forward back on these different cuts. And we're following along with a very specific uh naming convention and guidelines and all this stuff to basically like uh make these butchering and cooking of these cuts more approachable for everybody so this is our audio portion of the project and we're gonna have a written portion of the project and of course a photography portion of the project which is going to come out later um 
But with that, so today we're going to talk about the arm roast and the shanks. So the arm roast, in what we would consider that it's uh, basically a, a smorgasbord of different muscles that are existing around the humerus bone, which that is, if you're thinking through your anatomy, on a big game animal on the front shoulder, you've got your scapula up top, you've got your humerus in the middle, and you've got your tibia and your fibia below. So the uh, arm roast is what is wrapped around uh, the humerus, which is that middle bone. Um, you'll hear it called, uh, I recently learned, Nick Otto refers to it as the humerus roast. Uh, not as in a roast that is funny, but as in a roast that is wrapped around the humerus bone. Uh, I've heard it called the clawed heart roast, the clawed roast, the cross rib roast, and English roast, and probably what a lot of people know it as and use it for if it comes off of a beef cow. A beef cow. It's the only type of cow there is. Um, well, I guess there's an elk cow. Never mind. A beef, a beef bovine is that it would be considered uh, a pot roast, which is very common. And we're going to talk more about that uh, in detail. But um, if we just look at where it is on the animal, that's kind of where it's located at. I think it would be too considered like your triceps, right? If you're trying to equate it to a, a muscle on on the on a human. Yeah, maybe your, your biceps and triceps together, or just the tricep? Yeah, I think it would be your bicep, tricep, because yeah. then your yeah. your other muscles would be up higher for your shoulder. Yeah. I think on a pig, you'd be looking at the pork butt rather than the... Um, rather than, Or the pork butt would be the, the kind of the chuck, and the picnic would be the arm roast. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, which the chuck it too, so it'd be chuck, arm roast, and then your and then, shank would still be lower, yeah. and your brisket. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of like hopefully doesn't confuse everyone. I think that's fairly explained. So essentially, what you would do if you're going to get these cuts off of the animal is you're gonna have the whole front shoulder laid out in front of you with the outside of the shoulder facing up. You'll see where you have your scapula, which is your top bone. And just a reminder, you have scapula, your tibia, your fibia, and your humerus in between that. And so you're going to feel down the scapula until you feel where there's a joint. And it's going to be at a wider part of where that shoulder is versus, as you would think, a slimmer part. So if you can find where the ridge of the scapula comes down and then connects then in with that joint, that's going to be the top, the bottom of the scapula and the top of the humerus. So you're essentially going to make a straight line across uh, that cut there where you hit the joint. You'll wiggle, jiggle, make some slices. And you'll be able to pop that off. So that top part would be your blade roast, which contains your mock tender and your flat iron steak and then your Denver steak on the back. Um, your piece now that you have left are two cuts, which is your arm roast, uh, with your humerus and your shank. And so what I always do is I go from the bottom, which would be the shank up until I find the next joint, which would be at the top of the tibia and the fibia with the base of the humerus. 
and you're going to work that knife kind of in there and it, it takes a little bit of moving back and forth to get that out because it's almost kind of like a, a kneecap in there as well is, is a way to think about it and you have to kind of move and jiggle the knife but once you get it freed then you've got your shank free you've got your arm roast bone in there and you've got your blade roast and so you can put your blade roast aside to go ahead and remove your uh, all your cuts off of that but we're just going to focus on the arm roast and so when you have that arm roast you can naturally just use your boning knife and go along and you can debone that roast if you like or you can leave it bone in uh, it's really whatever kind of flavor you're feeling and then uh, for the shanks you've essentially got what you need already there as long as you've, you've disconnected it from the the trotter at the bottom uh, you should have a, a full cut I don't know, Adam, did I miss anything? Any tips for the butchery of both of those? No, that sounds about right. The uh, the armrest is on a round bone, which makes it a lot easier for, for butchering, where the uh, other part of the shoulder is all on that kind of flat scapula piece, like the shoulder blade. Uh, it takes a little more fancy knife work to get all the everything off, but uh, the armrest is, is just kind of like a, a center round bone. Uh, you can you know find the seam and cut everything from rounded and, and debone it quite easily if you intend to debone it. Um, I found the, the shanks, um, sometimes I use the edge of the table to, like I kind of take care of some of the ligaments and tendons holding together and use the edge of the table to pop them. Um, if you're struggling getting the shank bone off of the um, humerus bone, just use a little bit of leverage on your table and it will usually go. Yeah. Yeah, generally, and there's a nice thick tendon right in that bone as well. But um, once you get that, generally frees up. I would say some uh, some things about the arm roast in general. It's a very heavily worked piece of meat where it's at, and uh, it, it's been described like whenever you're talking about beef, and of course this would apply with with different nomenclature across the way. But it's a very beefy term or beefy cut of meat, meaning it's got a lot of flavor that you would naturally think would occur, and that's just from all that work and use and uh, wear and tear. So expect it to be kind of a bolder cut, right? Now, we've been talking a lot about those bold flavors and connective tissues and things like that. Those are all very present in both the arm roast and the shank. Um, very interesting fact is if you look at the clod roast, which we're using pretty synonymously with the arm roast, the clod roast and the brisket uh, are the two primary cuts that uh, kicked off the foundation of Texas-style barbecue in the early 1900s, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, so there's some, some tie-in to those of, of using those brisket and the clod roast uh, for, for that style of cooking. So. And then the shanks, so we'll dive a little bit into the shanks uh, some more. Is, so... I feel like probably the nomenclature and naming of the shank is, I think I, I hit the nail on the head. So when you try to look it up and you try to figure out where it is, the closest thing I could find is uh, in German, uh, middle low German, which I don't know what that means. It's uh, S-C-H-E-N-K-E, which I could only think of as shink, shinky or shink. And in German, it would be Schenkel, which means shank leg. So uh, people also call it the shin, things like that. So 
uh, I would say that the shanks on both the front and the back of the animal are probably the hardest working part of the animal. They're involved in every movement that the animal takes. Is it stepping, running, jogging, prancing, dancing, or fighting? Standing, even. (laughs) Standing, yeah, engaged standing. So that's why there's so much connective tissue. That's why there's so much, uh, you know, the meat is, is fairly tough in the shank, but is also one of the most amazing cuts once you get those connective tissues cooked out and cooked down and that meat just falls apart and it's full of delicious big beautiful flavors um so the shank as i mentioned earlier is below the humerus bone and connects to the tibia and the fibia fun fact about the tibia and the fibia adam if you didn't know this in most uh deer they are uh oh my gosh they're fused there we go on most deer the tibia and the fibia are fused uh, which I think is cool because essentially they're just like twisted together. They're not connected, but they're so close and so tight together that it's is almost they are one bone. Hmm. And that helps add strength uh, as the deer is standing and running um, so that you don't have two like bones. Think about like if we tried to run on our arms, we don't do it very fast. But uh, the deer has evolved differently. You can't run on your doing a handstand? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> Can you? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah naturally, yeah. naturally. Yeah. So uh, I talked sort of already how to remove the cut on the shank, so we don't need to dive much more into that. If you get the trotter off at the bottom and you get it separated away from the humerus joint at the top, uh, then you've got a shank. You can also, for both the arm roast and the shanks, I mentioned this, you can debone them to cook. That's perfectly fine. I've seen people do it. Although my personal opinion, I think with shanks, it's it's also equally easy just to have them already uh, on the bone and you can just use it to help flavor whatever you're cooking um, as all those things cook out of the bone. Um, Adam, any thoughts on, on the butchering of the shanks or connective tissue or all those things? Well, we've talked about it a few times before, but that uh, all that connective tissue once again turns into gelatin like the the collagen will cook into gelatin so i find the shanks are one of the best cuts for like adding a ton of gelatin into your meals making everything really like kind of lip smacking and and delicious and unctuous and tender like it, it really um adds a lot to to whatever you're cooking um and it's incredible and then it, we'll probably get into um also buco which is an italian shank dish where they cross cut it so instead of having the full shank they they cut it into um with a bone saw cut into into circles basically and in that preparation you actually have the marrow inside the humerus bone uh or not the humerus bone sorry the the shin bone basically iron bone um on a rear shank and that like allows all the marrow to be accessed which is one of my favorite things is to dig a fork into the marrow bone and and enjoy that too Mm -hmm. kind of get um the shank and the marrow and when it's cross cut so um one thing I, i do find when i'm butchering animals if i have smaller animals 
um, in either domestic or wild, like say a lamb, I'll leave the shanks whole, uh, beef, um, it's, there's no, you probably don't have a pot that's going to fit that in it. And the same goes for elk or large white-tailed deer, even you're, you're probably not going to be able to fit a whole shank into a, your cookware. So you may need to like saw it in half. You don't necessarily have to do the cross-cut asabuka style, but you might need to just saw it in half just so it can fit it into your pot and to cook. So keep that in mind when you when you bring one home. Just just put it inside your pot, your biggest pot, to see if it fits. And if it doesn't, then then saw it in half. <laughs> and buy a bigger pot. Yeah, or buy a bigger <laughs> pot. <laughs> um, so a little bit of culinary history on them both. So both of these, you know, generally throughout the culinary histories we look those tougher cuts ended up being cheaper um so or leftovers and so you had a lot of the uh unwealthy people would be consuming these cuts which as we learned shaped the cuisine of the world so if we look at um look at the arm roast um we look at they credit its likely introduction into american cuisine from uh the french through the braising technique, from the Germans, through sauerbraten, and we talked with uh, uh, our German friends a while back. The braten stands out as a uh, perfect preparation for game, as like a roast, slow-cooked roast. And then um, you would also see uh, other cultures too, slow-cooking it, braising it, uh, and whatever combination, which likely led to the pot roast. Um, which now is widely cooked. Uh, I think originally it started out as like being called the Yankee roast, uh, because it was a very Americanized version of with carrots and potatoes and very straightforward, but, um, has since evolved, but great cuts, uh, for, for those slow cooking preparations. And then on the shank side, um, like Adam mentioned, the Italians would make asabuco out of it, and the French would just braise it. And I think that's 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 your mantra, Adam. If all else fails, just braise it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and then you had some some additions. Yeah, some of my, my favorite international dishes actually are shank. A lot of my favorite dishes are shank because I just love it. It's one of my favorite cuts. But uh, one of my very favorite Chinese dishes is called fuki five pan. I think that's how you pronounce it. But it's kind of like a... What did you just say to me? <laughs> it's like a cold um, appetizer kind of. And, and traditionally it was used with... Uh, or made with offal. But nowadays they usually just use shank. Like a beef shank. And uh, you braise it slowly and then cool it down afterwards. And so it like kind of holds its shape once you cool it. And then you slice it thinly and dress it in chili oil and uh, Szechuan peppercorn and everything. Serve it cold. And it's just incredible. And it's a really unique way of serving it. So it's just like a, almost like a meat salad or a cold salad to start things off. And then uh, there's the famous Moroccan uh, lamb shanks. Uh, and they usually use like a tagine, which is like a conical kind of clay cooking vessel. And they'll serve it with like um, preserved lemon and garlic and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, in Pakistan, they have nahari, which is a very kind of common dish there and that's like a beef shanks stewed with garlic and ginger and all sorts of like Pakistani Indian spices and it's just incredible you find it all over the world some of these like 
some of the best international recipes are these like down home kind of slow cooked, lots of spice, lots of flavor. Um, the dasabuka as well. It's like uh, I don't know. I, I would go. I would recommend you go search out um, at these like international restaurants, uh, like um, um, shank dishes, because you'll you'll find some delicious stuff. Shanks and praises. Shanks and praises. And uh, when we talk about cooking, so for the arm roast itself, like some very common preparations methods I mentioned. So roasted, smoked, braised, slow cooked. Uh, You're not going to be chopping it up and cooking it quickly in steaks. Um, I would definitely say if you've got an arm roast, devote some time prepare it how you want it and really enjoy it. Um, you can, when you're thinking about like it's actual preparation, I would say generally if you see a recipe, uh, for roast, uh, be it a game recipe or whatever, and they just call for a roast, you could sub in the arm roast and you would be perfectly fine, uh, in, in that preparation. So I would say you'd be good to go with that. And then, um, you know, it, I would say also to based on just the texture and the composition with all the different muscle groups, like once you get that collagen cooked down and liquefied and melted, we'll say, that uh, it's a great candidate to be shred into like tacos, into uh, things like ropa vieja or uh, like a pulled barbecue dish, like really anything you can think of. So a good candidate for that. Um, of course, shredding it, get it off the bone, do all that as well. And then um, for the shank, so I'm a big, 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 big supporter of braising, just like Adam is. Like I think with the shank, you can't go wrong with a good braise on it. Alternatively, I would say uh, if you wanted to change it up a little bit, would be to add uh, to smoke, to smoke it a little bit before you braised it to give it some like, different flavors um that's a cool way to to bring more excitement to an already exciting cut of meat and then um the asabuco cut so we talked a little bit about cross cutting uh the shank for asabuco but you want to i I will give some tips on that you will want to do that probably when it's frozen i think it's traditionally when it's done uh or it's cut you're cutting the meat and then cutting the bone don't try to saw yeah don't try to saw the meat um if you're using like a a sawzall or anything like that you can definitely freeze it and cut it if you're using like a meat processing band saw you can uh definitely cut it frozen as well just um be careful of those bone particles and stuff as you're cooking you want to make sure you clean it up a bit before it goes into the pot you should be doing about three, maybe four inches uh, for those cuts. So if you cut them too thin, if you cut them at like an inch or two inch, they tend to really curl up around the bone once you cook them. But if you leave them thick enough, they'll kind of keep their own uh, shape right t- towards the end. So I would aim for around three inches or so. That's a good. That's a good tip. And, uh, yeah, then if you get too low on that shank, you're going to get too little meat and just toss those bones in your stock bone pile. Um, I would say probably out of, if you're looking at the average size of a deer, um, a deer shank, you're probably going to get 
at least three to four cuts off of it before you run out of meat, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's any don't. way to cook shank really with other than basing. I think it's such a tough cut of meat. It's probably the toughest cut of meat on the entire animal. Yeah. I can't imagine. I mean, you could you could sous vide it, but yeah. then you're really just kind of like braising it. Yeah, I mean, you could sous you could sous vide and then reverse sear, but I feel like if you're going to do that, you may as well just braise it. Yeah. Um hmm, I don't know that I've ever sous vide shanks. Let's see. Sous vide <laughs> shanks. And when you when you're our oh. Base, oh, sorry, go ahead. That was quick. <laughs> Yeah, 48 hours sous vide lamb shank. Sous vide lamb shanks. Looks like a lot of people sous vide lamb shanks. There you go. Can you sous vide beef shanks? Can't see why not. Yeah, wow. So I guess people people are, in fact, um, sous vide shanks. That's interesting. Ooh. Okay, I like it. There you go. Um,. If you are going to braise, I recommend braising at uh, 300 degrees or lower. Um, so you want that that collagen to release slowly. And if you do it higher, like a higher temperature, you're going to dry out that meat. So even if you do it in liquid, it's going to just cook a little too fast. It's going to dry out those muscle muscle fibers. Uh, you're going to be you're going to have a more unctuous kind of tasty uh, moist roast if you do at like a 275 to 300 so just want to point that out nice that's good yeah and i think no matter what you use um if you're going to use the humerus bone if you're going to use the bone from the shanks you're going to use the shanks themselves to make a braise uh or a braising liquid or you could also use them for stocks as well Mm -hmm. like i think they would make really good stocks you could even cook your shanks in whatever liquid and then take that braising liquid and turn it into a stock uh, or reduce it down and turn it into a sauce. I think would be yeah. really good too. It's gonna be an incredible sauce. Awesome. I actually forgot yeah. one of my favorite so, shank uh, international recipes out there. And it's actually a, a pork shank, so pork, which would also be known as a pork hock. Uh, have you ever heard of a Schweinhaxen? No. But I'm German excited. Friend. I heard of it now. It's so it's a massive piece of meat, and they they braise the whole hock, and then they fry it so the skin gets all crispy, and then you just eat it like a caveman. It's a ridiculously large piece of meat. You know those like Renaissance vessels you can have that massive turkey leg and just walk around and chum it, yeah. kind of like that, but even bigger and more ridiculous. And uh, it's delicious because it's been braised, so it's like nice and tender inside. Then they fry it on the outside, so it's super crispy. Um. It's, yeah, incredible. Uh, One of my favorite uh, ways I like shanks, and it's it's pork shanks as well, is used to go to, I forget it was a restaurant in San Diego, but they did like barbecue, like shank lollipops type deal. Mm. And it was kind of the same concept. It was like on a stick and you they cooked the shank down and it, it was obviously off a smaller pig. But, um pretty tasty um and another way we didn't talk about was pressure cooking of course. uh 
which will lead us into our next recipe. So this one, uh, this is an actual recipe we're going to talk about, and this is by Brandon Dale, uh, one of our uh, contributors here at Harvesting Nature. And he's based out of New York, but he did some Western hunting and got an elk last year, and uh, he was having a bit of a gathering, it, it appears, and he cooked up elk shank tangine canapé. Basically what that is is... He took the elk shanks and I can tell if did he debone them? Let me scroll down here. Oh, he cubed it. Which is an interesting. So completely off the bone, cubed up, uh, with ginger, scallions, cloves, turmeric, uh he's got some others, paprika, all those things, and he took the deboned elk shank after it's cubed up into two to three inch pieces. And he put it in, um, what did he do? He tossed the meat and the spices, marinated it, and then uh, put some olive oil in a cast iron or an Instant Pot, also known as a pressure cooker. <laughs> <laughs> Browned it, took it out, and then uh, put some stock in there, and he essentially pressure cooked it with a bunch of other uh Ideas. So taking the flavors and ingredients that you would typically find in a tagine uh, and incorporating that with elk and then cooked it basically uh, for about an hour in a pressure cooker until it was fall off fork tender or falling off the bone if you're cooking it with the bone. So then he took heated up his grill, brushed the pita bread with olive oil until he got some nice grill marks on it and grilled it. And then, uh, then he took a tzatziki and put two teaspoons of the elk shank tagine on the top and then he put uh some parsley and mint sounds really really tasty mm-hmm. yeah because shanks take so long to cook like they're so tough and they need to release everything uh wild game and particular maybe like an older animal you're gonna be cooking your shanks for hours and hours to get them tender so if you have a pressure cooker at home or Instapot or whatever and, and feel comfortable doing that. It's actually a great piece of meat to, to pressure cook because, yeah, you don't need to wait for hours and hours and hours. You can do it inside an hour or two hours. And so then continuing on with our shank, our shankiness, uh, this past New Year's, I made a delicious uh, shank recipe uh, by braising the venison shanks in and then taking that braising liquid, using it to cook my rice and black-eyed peas. So those that don't know, it's a very southern tradition to have black-eyed peas. This is a very southern dish called Hoppin' John. Uh, And so I made that with, uh, I think I used antelope. Um, And I used some of the Harvest Nature Waterfowl blend, which is pretty tasty. Um, But put that in there. I'm trying to think if I I braised it in... uh, I did a slow cooker, yeah. So I braised the shanks overnight and then prepared it. I seared the shanks first, prepared it, added in my stock, garlic, celery, let it cook overnight uh, until the meat was falling off the bone. So make sure you're doing that on low because, like Adam mentioned, you do it too high, even in the slow cooker or the crock pot, as people call it, uh, you're going to end up with maybe a little tougher meat than you want. It's going to get dried out. So... I use that. This is one example of using that braising liquid and incorporating it into a dish to just like really accentuate the flavor. And so 
essentially did that with the rice and uh, the beans, which I used fresh or uh, dried black-eyed peas versus uh, versus um, using uh, canned. Mm. I think the flavor is so much better. So, and then you mix it all back together and serve it, and boom, tasty. Uh, Adam, while we're on the topic of shanks, do you want to talk about your ancho venison shank tacos? Sure. It was kind of like a fun little taco recipe I made. Um, I basically took um, some venison shanks, um, did the braising technique, so I seared them in uh, some fat in the Dutch oven, um, and then I actually seared some ancho chilies after them and toasted them and then uh, added them to the pot with chopped onions and garlic and spices and a bottle of beer and uh, added, like, added the shanks back in then let that braise for about four hours or so and uh, until the meat was just like falling off the bone and then I made a roasted tomatillo and pineapple salsa with some jalapenos and onions and uh just roast everything out of the broiler for a couple minutes until it all charred and then um blended it up with some cilantro and lime juice and basically toasted the i think for these ones i made my own own tortillas at home um i think i just got in a tortilla press so i was experimenting um but toasted tortillas i shredded the meat uh, there's a little bit of sauce left in the pot, so I reduced that down until it was nice and thick, and tossed the meat back into that thickened sauce, dumped it on the tacos, poured some of the salsa back over them, and yeah, they were just delicious. You have like the super rich shank meat that's in this like kind of spicy ancho sauce, um, contrasted with a really bright and acidic um, salsa coming from the tomatillos and the, and the pineapple, so it's a really nice combination of flavors. It sounds delicious. I had a grilled cheese today. <laughs> so, <laughs> so hungry. Um, but I. Uh, so let's let's move on. We'll, we'll change gears and switch it over to the roast here. So the roast um, for the arm roast. Uh, we don't have any specific recipes on our website for arm roast. But if you go and you just search uh, roasts, you know, you can like I said apply any of those to it. And the one that I really chose to talk about, because I think it would be a great candidate, is the Mississippi Pot Roast. And this really came forth, in my mind, as like that big internet craze where everybody was taking the ranch dressing packet full of God knows what and putting it in uh, in the slow cooker with some stock and whatever else and making like this pot roast. But um, I decided that I was going to make a fresh version of the Mississippi pot roast, which is still uh, one of my very favorite pot roasts to serve because you, you put it in a crock pot and you just let it go. But the thing that I said like makes this really great is that you're using all fresh ingredients. So you're using, uh, you're using yellow onion and you're using uh, pepperoncini and vinegar and fresh dill and garlic powder and chives and parsley and whatever your favorite starch is. And so you're cooking all those things and you're serving it on top of the starch and you just really get this like really tangy, yummy, uh, not really spicy, but it's got some good twang to it that you would expect from like ranch dressing and uh, stuff. Not like weird, overly ranch dressing, but, um, 
it just it worked and so i've continued to serve it but the arm roast is a perfect candidate for that i think uh to be in there because it is it's like that pot roast just that shred apart big chunks of saucy meat um and then adam i pulled one off your website your chipotle venison pot roast on hatch grits so yeah that was a really really tasty one i used the uh arm roast for that um and i just used a boneless um once i just cut it off and split it into two pieces i think and froze them separately there's only two of us at Uh home so um i tend to break the meat apart into smaller pieces i gave that one a a similar um process as the last recipe i just mentioned by basically searing the meat in a dutch oven until really nicely browned um taking out the pot adding a bunch of spices like um cumin and smoked paprika and that kind of stuff with some onions and garlic, chipotle uh, peppers, um, added the meat back to the pot once that was all browned and poured over some stock and some uh, can of Rotel tomatoes with the green chilies in it. Uh, Put that in the oven for three hours. Um, You could also do it in a slow cooker, but I do recommend if you're going to slow cook it or crock pot it or whatever to... Sear it first. So take a cast iron pan, or whatever. Sear the meat and then mm-hmm. put it in there. Um, it's going to be a lot more flavorful like that. If you just put it straight into the slow cooker, you're missing out a lot of that mired reaction. It's going to give a lot of that caramelized flavors, um, and it's going to be a little, little more bland. So yeah, if you're going to slow cook it, hit it with a sear first. Anyways, I took the meat out after about three hours of cooking. It was nice and falling apart. Um, I took all that. Um, the onions and the sauce and everything in the bottom of the pan, poured into the blender, let it cool down a bit so the blender doesn't explode, and then uh, blended that <laughs> until smooth. So that just forms an instant sauce, like an instant delicious, unctuous, beautiful sauce, just like that, with no no additions whatsoever. Um, and then I made some grits with uh, some, I think I used Gouda cheese and, and I had a can of chopped hatch chilies. So I just mixed that all in there and then just served, kind of pulled the venison roast apart into big chunks and put it on top of the grits and poured over the sauce. And, and that was dinner. It was really delicious. It's a great way to use that cut. And uh, I never get hatch chilies up here. So I got those actually when I was visiting in the States and uh, brought a bunch of cans back with me because I uh, never get to, eat, get to eat them up here. So So those grits were actually really good too. I'm excited about uh about hatch chili season coming up. Yeah. Um, it's gonna be so good. I think we're gonna try to make it down uh, and get some or some pueblo chilies. Cause we Colorado Colorado and New Mexico battle for who's got the better chilies. So uh, we'll, we'll see. Maybe we'll get to go on a tasting tour. But um, you you marked on here venison shank sliders. Um, and I also. Um, I also had a sandwich I was going to talk about with the shanks too, so we could just combine them. Sure, so yeah. if you want to talk about yours, yours first, and then I'll just briefly mention mine. Sure. These, uh, sliders are like the perfect thing to do, like a Super Bowl party, or if you're having a bunch of friends over, just kind of like an appetizer. And it's just a really generic kind of recipe. You just take like th- this process that we keep mentioning, this, this searing and braising, you just do that with, uh, you know, some venison stock or whatever you're making or wine or beer, do a very basic braise, 
take the the meat once it's done and pull it apart and shred it. You can actually do this with shanks or an arm roast, either or. And then you just take, um, you split a whole bunch of um, slider buns, stack it on with some um, provolone cheese. I did like a horseradish mayo with black peppers, did some uh, pepperoncini peppers, and then stack that all into the, the sliders, brush the tops with butter, and then put a bunch of Parmesan cheese on top and put them in the oven till they're warm and crispy. And uh, those will disappear quick, really quick. Yep. They're, they're delicious. So, yeah, it's just a really good generic recipe to just have a bunch of shredded shank or arm roast meat on hand. You can basically put it anywhere you want, tacos, sandwiches, sliders, burgers, the world's your oyster. We're not talking about seafood. Here. Oh, that's right. <laughs> the world's the world's your arm roast. <laughs> there you go. Um, so yeah, I did almost identical to that, except for I did. Uh, I, I was watching that show, The Bear, mm-hmm. you know, the cooking show. Uh, I was watching uh, that a lot, and they were doing the like Italian sandwiches at the very first of it because it's what the base of the restaurant is. And uh, so I made like essentially the Italian sandwich version in a slider with like you know peppers and onions and the very like hefty greasy sloppy uh, shanks uh, that I braised in there and then added a nice sauce too and so it just like was just super tasty. But yeah, I took it to a BHA event last year and uh, it, it was a wild game potluck and that there that was the first thing gone <laughs> so i was pretty proud of myself but uh yeah so i think i think that wraps us up i mean for the amount of recipes we talked about this is a ton of recipes so i would hope that if you're looking in the world of arm roast and you're looking in the world of shanks that you've got a good basis now of butchering cooking and and eating uh if you want to dive more into it there's definitely a lot of uh, a lot of information out there on the World Wide Web's when it talks about shanks uh, specifically arm roast. You got to dig a little bit, Google some of those different names, and and if you want to find that, um, and then I don't know, Adam, I'll turn it over. You got any alibis, misfires, last thoughts? Actually, one thing that we forgot to mention that I just wanted to mention. One thing. One thing. Okay. Uh, grinding. So grinding. we forgot to mention grinding. So the arm roast is a great candidate for grinding. Uh, it's it's kind of a shoulder. It doesn't have quite as many uses as, as some other parts of the animal. I find if I'm going to be grinding some shoulder, I'll often grind that arm roast. Um, when it comes to shanks, I never, ever, ever grind my shanks because I love them so much. But you can grind them. I would just recommend that you have a very good heavy-duty grinder because they're so full of sinew and, and connective tissue that uh, you know, like a stand mixer grinder or something like that could easily clog up by pushing those shanks through. But I would just recommend not not grinding them at all and and brazing them because yeah, they're, don't grind. they're in my one. Don't favorite. grind your shanks. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I just wanted to mention that before we log out here. Oh, yeah. No, I'm glad you hit on that, too. That's a good one. All right. So now with your alibi. Oh, that was my album. I have nothing else to say. Okay. Oh, perfect. Well, I will say this then. uh, These two cuts of meats are fabulous to work with. Uh, Definitely, I think about back in the olden days when they would consider them, quote unquote, peasant food. Uh, I kind of like giggle to myself that how much these two cuts of meat have likely shaped culinary history. 
um, just in the way that we've learned to cook and eat and what we do enjoy. And if you've never had a shank before, you should save the shank on your next animal uh, or go to the store and buy a shank and prepare it and just learn how to cook it because it's such a great cut of meat. Um, and just really keep it keep it in your toolbox. Uh, once you perfect the art of braising, which is not hard to do, uh, it's something you can do with anything. So it's it's good to have. Um, but as always, we'll put all these recipe show notes uh, together and get them posted so you have links to all the recipes you have links to some of the more in-depth stuff we talked about and then uh also to whatever podcast platform you're listening to please punch that five star button leave us a review tell us we're doing wrong or you know tell us we're doing right thanks everybody have a good night